Good morning. My name is Kim Strobaugh, and today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Sharon, the interim lead pastor here at Pine Lake Covenant Church. It's good to have you with us for this time together around God's word. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, thank you for the gift of word. Thank you for the gift of spirit. And thank you for the community of the church. Would you enliven what only you can do to make your word alive to us and to make your way known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, we have been in a series called We the Church during this month of August. In this season when many normal church rhythms are disrupted, we've been looking back at a letter that was written to the first century church to rediscover to realign ourselves, what God's purpose is for the church, who we are in this season, and what he's called us to do. You know, he does have a plan for us, and it's a plan that's been the same through the ages, that we might experience his love and share his goodness with others. Each Sunday during this series, we have, we will and have been receiving communion together. The purpose of that is to remind ourselves that even if we're in our homes and not gathered together in the same space, we are connected to one another in Jesus Christ. He invites us to this family meal to remind us that we belong to him and we still belong to each other. So as you receive communion during these weeks, may it be a celebration that we, the church, belong to Christ and belong to each other. So today we're into Ephesians chapter 2, and it's such a key and pivotal part of the book of Ephesians, a wonderful story that's unfolded. It's really the gospel story being told again. Now you may think, I've heard the gospel before, I get it. But one of the things that um, teachers and theologians throughout the ages have said is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to be reminded again and again that God's story is for us and we are a part of it. You know, we've all heard stories about situations where a person is in dire danger 
even near death, and they can't help themselves. They're stuck in a situation, and someone comes along to rescue them, and the story changes course because of that. A dramatic video was um, went viral this past week, and I, I watched it a couple of times. It shows a man in a wheelchair trying to get across a train track, and somehow the wheels his wheels get stuck in the track, and a, he's not able to get away, and there's a train coming towards him. And a, a local police officer comes along, sees the situation, jumps out of her car, runs to this man to try to pull his wheelchair off the track, still stuck. She grabs him under the arms and pulls him to safety within seconds of his life as this freight train rumbles past. It was pretty amazing. This decisive intervention of this willing rescuer saved this man's life. Pretty dramatic. Captured all on her police body cam. In a sense, this is the scene we're looking at now in Ephesians chapter 2. You may say, well, it's not quite as dramatic, but I think it is. It's as dramatic and even more consequential in many ways because it's the story of our human condition, our human predicament that covers people of all ages, all ethnicities, all generations. God meets us in our dire circumstances. He intervenes and then a new reality begins. We're going to look at it in this way through this narrative. First, the backstory in verses 1 through 3, what we are like without God. And then the pivotal part, but God. We're going to see how God's intervening action changes everything. And then our new story. What is life like as we move forward into what we're actually created to be? So let's take a look at those three areas. First, the backstory. And it's not a pretty picture. The way Paul or the author of Ephesians writes this is quite troubling and and stark contrast. In fact, he says it pretty specifically. You were dead. It talks about what life is like outside, what humanity is like outside of Christ. As for you, he writes, he probably was referencing the Gentile believers in these churches. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. But we're going to find that the story is true for all of us. He describes this backstory, the way they used to live. And the real problem in this is alienation from God. Death means separation from God. Sin separates us from God. There's no getting past that stark reality. You used to be dead. In the verse in, in verse 1, it says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Two different ways of describing our failure to live into God's way. Transgressions is kind of an image of slipping and falling not being able to do what we wanted to do. And then the word sin has an image of missing the mark. But each of those words point to a failure to walk uprightly, a failure to hit the target that God has for us. And 
we're stuck in this backstory because there are three evil influences that keep wanting to control us and keep us in that space. You may have heard this before, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're all seen in this passage right here. First of all, the ways of this world. Paul refers to it in verse 2. It's referring to the system that is against God, that opposes God's ways. Our society, our culture, all those things, they're good things in the ways of the world, but in the world, but the ways of the world that are against God's ways. And we're all influenced by them. They pull us, they seek to control us in ways that keep us in the backstory. And then there's the flesh that's referenced in verse 3 when it says gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That's the internal uh, enemy we have in a sense, that we ourselves are prone to sin. We recognize it, that evil and selfishness resides within us. Our own sinful nature seeks to control us and keep us in the backstory. And then, of course, Paul refers to, he says it here in this way, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, referring to the devil himself. The kingdom of the air was often thought of as that realm between earth and sky where evil influences had their, had their say. And the devil himself, this powerful evil influence, seeks to undo and thwart everything that God tends to do. This force is operative both in the way of the world and in our flesh. And these influences pull us back and keep us stuck in a way that we can't get free from ourselves. You know, the concluding phrase of this section in verses 1 through 3 is, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And I think we have to unpack that a little bit. What does it mean to be objects of wrath? It's not just a Gentile issue, a Jewish issue. This is a human issue. We all are by nature objects of wrath. What this is referring to is that we are all deserving of God's judicial condemnation. There is nothing in us that moves us towards connection with God. Our sin separates us from his holiness. And the consequences of this alienation is no communion with God, the wrath of God. Now we have to be careful when we talk about this term, and I can only unpack it a little bit, but it doesn't mean like God's angry. The wrath of God is the natural consequences of our being stuck in the backstory of sin and death. It's us being under divine judgment because of our moral choices, which are in turn dictated by our moral nature, which is corrupt. And so it calls each of us to be, there's a moral accountability for our behavior as human beings. We all used to live this way. We all followed the ways that led to death. It's a pretty stark story, this backstory. And what kind of God would intervene in such a mess? Well, verse 4 tells us, and this is the pivotal linchpin, the verse that changes everything in this gospel story. But God, 
And God here is described in beautiful ways. God, because of his great love for us, a God who is rich in mercy, this mercy which offsets this object of wrath, God's mercy meets us in this backstory of helplessness. And he says, I have a way for you. You know, that term, but God, is it's all through the, the biblical narrative. If you were to do a study of that, you'd find it everywhere. Where God intervenes, something looks hopeless and helpless and chaotic, but God shows up. Paul writes about it in Romans as well. Hear this verse from Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The same theme in this passage in Ephesians. Spiritually, we were already dead. We were stuck in this way. And God took the initiative to bring life to us. How does he do it? He does it by grace. Repeated twice in this passage, word for word. It is by grace you have been saved. God comes to our rescue simply because his love supersedes our rebellion and our sinful nature. We don't contribute anything to this saving. All humans are unable to help themselves out of this mess. So the author reminds us there's no room for boasting. There's no way we can say, well, my good works got me here or my spiritual insights got me here. My natural prowess, no. No room for boasting. But God, God did it all. And that brings us to the third part of this story, which is an ongoing story. The new life in Christ, our new story. Paul says, once you were this, now you are this because of Christ. When you begin walking in the way of Jesus and accepting this gospel truth, you join this new story, whether it was a long time ago or just recently. You are invited into, I am invited into, a new story. Once we were dead, now we, the church, are alive through grace. I was seven years old when I first recognized the gift and made an intentional choice to receive what God had offered me. Oh, I didn't grasp it all. I wonder if we ever truly grasp and understand what God has done for us in bringing us from death to life. But I knew, even as a seven-year-old, that my sin kept me away from walking with Jesus, and I wanted to be his. And I remind, it reminds me that Pastor Nancy says almost every week that young children can have encounters with God, even at early ages. And I am thankful for the influence of godly parents and for the leader of that backyard Bible club where I said, yes, the gospel is for me. I want to be part of God's story. So what does God do when he invites us into his story? The action he takes. Well, this passage talks about two things. He makes us alive. We refer to that. Makes us alive who were spiritually dead. And he says it this way, made alive with Christ. And then it says he raises us up with Christ 
into the heavenly realms. Those who were alienated from God are now invited to be in the heavenly places even with God himself. You might have noticed those terms with Christ on both of those. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. It's a reminder of what we looked at earlier in the first chapter of Ephesians, that what God has done for Jesus Christ, raising him from the dead, setting him in the heavenly realms, he does for us as well as we are in Christ and with Christ. God does it and makes it possible. This whole range of divine activity and grace we've been invited into, both here in the present and into the future. This is our new story. Once you were this, but now you are this, alive with Christ, raised up with Christ. So we've reviewed the story and you've heard the good news again. The backstory where we get stuck in our helpless to save ourselves. The intervention, the divine action of God. And then the new story that begins as we walk in him. When the wheels of life get us stuck and we can't get out, when we can't get to free from an old way of life, God comes into the scene and takes steps to pull us from an old way of death, an old way of life into a new way. And if you have never received this gift that God has to offer you, you can do so today. It's as simple as just saying aloud to God, telling him what you need and receiving what he has to offer. I encourage you, if you aren't part of this new story, become part of it today. And if there are any way that I or one of the other pastors can help you, please email us, talk to us. We would love to celebrate with you. If you've invited Christ into your life and become part of God's story, received this gift of grace. Now to verse 10. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. One of my key verses Ephesians 2.10, it's our remember verse for this month as well. It says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These works are not something we boast in. They are a natural consequence of being in Christ. We are not created by good works but for good works. We are not saved by works, but for, saved for good works. And that term workmanship is such a beautiful one. It can also be translated, we are God's masterpiece. We are his work of art, the church, his ongoing story in the world, where he is demonstrating the beautiful things he's creating as the world becomes part of his kingdom. Have you ever watched an artist? Watch the process of the, the creative energy that goes into making something new. I'm not an artist myself, at least not a visual artist, but I've watched a potter at the wheel shaping and molding clay into something that has a beautiful form and a, and a practical function. 
and watched artists in our own church. I think of Pam Beer, who painted and created a beautiful picture of the birth of Jesus Christ that it captured for all of us the joy of the incarnation. An artist is attentive to their workmanship, and they find joy as the piece begins to unfold to completion. This is what God does for us, in us, the church. We, the church, have been graced for good works. And God says this about all of us, and he says it about us individually, about you and about me. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, to show to the world what God is really like. And he has good works for you to do. They're already prepared. There is a way for you to walk in, as one of the translations puts it. God knows the way for you to walk in this new story. And it is in a joyful way. But yes, it's a work. It calls us to step up and to enter into the story. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message, this verse, Ephesians 2.10. He creates each of us by Christ to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. You know, the activities of God's people flow out of the work that God does in our lives as his new creation. And if we have been prepared for good works, we better be after it. I can't decide for you what the good works are before you this day or this week, but God has created you as a masterpiece to be part of what he is doing to redeem the world. So even as we preach the gospel to ourselves, may we say yes to this call to enter into the good work he has for us. We're going to be unpacking this more in the next several weeks and at our annual meeting to say what in this season at Pine Lake Covenant Church might be the good works God has prepared for us to do. But for today, I invite you to ask God to open your eyes, to be aware that you as his masterpiece have been prepared, are being prepared for good works that will bring him glory and will bless others. We, the church, have received grace for good works, and may we live into that. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this this morning where we could again preach the gospel to ourselves and remember the backstory and the intervention of your wonderful grace that invites us into a new story. And for each of us listening to this now, you have prepared good works for us to do. May we be after it, Lord. May we walk with you in such a way that our lives become beautiful expressions of the masterpiece of God himself. May that we as a church follow your ways into those good works and celebrate together that you have done this through even us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.